I'm going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones of a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. There ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to going deep with Donovan Bennett. certainly are. I am Donovan Bennett. This is the Sportsnet Radio Network, and this is Going Deep, episode one. Blessed to have a show with my name on it, but the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you to Capitalist for that fire track. Uh, thank you for Rosa Morrison for making beautiful artwork for the podcast. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe, listen, rate, review, give five stars. Hopefully, if we do what we hope to do, and if we do, it won't solely be because of me. It'll be because of the entire team. Lance Kennedy is going to keep me on track, and Show is going to keep me honest. Show is uh, our producer, Show Ali, and Show, I want you to introduce yourself to our listeners because this show is literally as much yours as it is mine. I'm really excited to be doing it with you. I'm excited to be working with you as well, Donovan. I, uh, I've gotten a chance to work with you going back to like the free association days when that was still going on. Actually, I have a couple of drops from your uh, singing days on free association. Oh we'll get to at some point, oh, I'm sure, no. in the next months or so. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll save those for the, keep those in the back pocket for now. But I, I'm looking forward to what this show can be because there are a lot of look backs on, you know, games last night and, and examinations of what players might do in a specific game. And that those, those, those content, that kind of content is always great and is, is needed. But I also think there's also a space for evergreen content and the, the intersection of sports with culture and society and the, the various issues that go along with that um, in, in serious ways and fun ways. And I think uh, you're, you're the perfect person to talk about that with. I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to talking about those things with you on this episode, going to be talking about those things with some big names, some big guests, some Canadian goats, Christine Sinclair. Uh, Canadian soccer is on a wave right now. It hasn't always been the case. We're going to talk to her about how she's literally dragged our country into a much better place. And for me, a goat in our industry, Cabral Richards, cabbie, a good friend of mine, will be joining us at the bottom of the show. But before we get to that, I suppose it makes sense to introduce myself my perspective and why I think I'm going to bring a lot of myself into this show so that we can have some informed conversations with people like Christine Sinclair. So for background, for people who aren't familiar with me or my work, I'm here at Sportsnet doing a little bit of everything, writing, hosting on television, hosting audio. But my background is like, like many people, like you show, I come from an immigrant family. Family moved here from Jamaica. I am a first-generation Canadian experience, not unique to me. But there are many studies that show, and Gladwell has written about this extensively in multiple books, that when you are first-generation, you're a bit of an outsider. You're maybe a bit introspective, but you observe, you think about things a little bit more because you're always adjudicating your relationship with things. What I mean by that is when people say, well, where are you from? Can't just say... Well, I grew up in Scarborough or now live in Port Credit, right. Mississauga, here in Ontario. What they mean is where are you really from, right? Because you're clearly not from here. And so naturally off the bat, you know you're not, you know, quote unquote Canadian in the same way that many other people are. But even within your own family, 
of, of immigrants, you're different, right? You're, you're not from yard, if you were Jamaican. You know roots, right? You, you, your relationship with the customs, the values, the culture is different because it's being passed down to you. You didn't really experience it firsthand. So even in your own family, you're a little bit of an outsider. And so whether it's from Europe or from the West Indies or Guyana for you, that experience is a little bit different. Before I filibuster more and go on, did your experience the same? I think so. Yeah, I think so. The way you interact with with people and even honestly, even the way you interact with sports is is a little different when you I was telling you this before the show, but just in the way you kind of sit and absorb things and and maybe you don't always want to speak out super loudly all the time. And uh, it's well, it's funny to say that considering we're on a podcast and radio network. right? So I mean, that's kind of what we do. But at the same time, it's it's, it takes a while to get to everyone's a place where everyone is comfortable with. And I think it it took me a while to get there. And I'm I'm sure when you were younger, it took you a while to get there, too. And uh, I, I think finding a space to explore and have those conversations is really important. For sure. And know yourself is not just a great Drake record. It's really important. And why I bring that up is because it informs the way I cover things and probably will inform the way I do this show. Because constantly because of that, you're calculating your relationship to the establishment, constantly evaluating how you feel about things. You speak less, you listen more. So certainly when you look at the temperament and tone of this show, that will inform it. The other piece about me is I'm a proud Western Mustang, the Western University, won another Yates Cup. And that doesn't really matter at all, other than the fact that while I was there, I tend to register time. I said, you know, I got a couple of philosophy credits. I'll throw a couple more together. I'll get another line on my degree with a philosophy minor. But actually, that's the thing I took the most from my university experience because it gave me deductive logic and reasoning. It helps me get to my conclusions. And so... A lot in our industry, in sports, you got the hot takes. I'm telling you this is going to happen. You cannot win a championship if you're a jump-shooting team. Right. Dirk Nowitzki is too soft. Peyton Manning is a choker. Until those things obviously are not true. Well, I, it, on this show, although those things are entertaining, you're not going to find much of that because I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen because really and truly, I'm going to be honest, I don't know. Right? I'm testing my premises against hopefully scrutiny, whether it's from show from our guests, from you as an audience. So really what I'm trying to do is set up a precedent so that I come to these topics not saying I know the right answer, but I come to it saying I hope to find the right answer and I need your help and I'm going to need the help not just of you show but real knowledgeable experts to help me and hopefully help you as a listener figure out how you feel about these topics which oftentimes are not black and white. They're not that simple. They're not that binary. There's Lots of room for gray. And, and so that's another approach that we'll take to this show. And then lastly, I'm a former student athlete. Mentioned the Western University. I played football there and also played, you know, in the NCAA. I played rugby in Ontario here and, and for Canada briefly in high school. And, and that's a long, long time ago. I'm not nearly as athletic as I'd like to think that I am. But what it does is it, it fuels the way I look at athletes. I, I I still feel closer to them than, quite frankly, sometimes to the journalists covering them. I understand what it feels like to be covered, to have your words twisted. I understand what it feels like to be the man in the arena and understanding that sometimes the critic doesn't actually count. Shout out to Teddy Roosevelt. And so uh, what I promise you, 
that I, I want you to know is that, yes, we hate when our team loses or play goes poorly, but I promise you that athlete hates it more and it sticks with them more. So I, I hopefully want to humanize their experience so that they aren't just to us baseball cards or fantasy acquisitions or parlay bets. Uh, and that's actually takes us to our first guest because I'd argue that Christine Sinclair and what she's accomplished is the greatest feat by a Canadian athlete post-Terry Fox. Now, you're saying, have you heard of the great one? Like, his name is the great one in Gretzky. And, and Crosby and McDavid are now coming up with that template. And Steve Nash won two MVPs as a point guard from BC. I'll say this. What Christine Sinclair has accomplished, and it still is accomplishing, is so improbable because there was no infrastructure for her to do it. And, and that is something we should be proud of, but also I think actually something we should be a bit ashamed of as Canadians. Here's what I mean. I remember covering the U Sports Basketball National Championships in Regina, between Regina and Windsor in 2013. Whole town came out because if you're wearing green, we care. But this is women's basketball. And it was the final, and you, I couldn't hear myself think when I was doing my hits. It was so loud. And when the entire crowd was singing the national anthem and, and banging pots and pans and cheering for these girls, luckily I, I wasn't on air for a bit because my eyes started to get watery. Not like an ugly cry, like Curry when he won a championship, but I got emotional. And I'm not a crier to, you know, my wife's dismay. I didn't cry at, you know, my grandmother that passed at her funeral. I didn't cry when my two kids were born. I didn't cry when my wife was walking down the aisle, which she constantly reminds me of. I'm, I just don't have tear ducts, evidently. But I got emotional because it dawned on me in that moment that the sacrifice of those female athletes was for the first time being honored. They put in as much as their male counterparts, same level of dedication and work ethic and acumen but for whatever reason because they have a different chromosome we don't care as much and so i got emotional for that fact but i also got emotional because i knew that this was for many of them who are fifth year seniors the last time they were going to have that opportunity if you're a male athlete in this country and you play a major sport be it football or basketball or hockey or soccer you can go on and continue to play that sport and make a decent to great living in this country. If you're a female athlete, you can make some money maybe in Europe if you are one of the chosen few. But the vast majority of the women playing that game went on to be coaches or referees or lawyers or nurses or homemakers or IG influencers, all admirable roles, but... They didn't continue on their craft, and that's a shame. If we're going to call ourselves a progressive country, we're going to call ourselves, in some corners, a feminist country, but at the same time, we treat female athletes entirely different in plain sight in the year 2022. That's a little disgusting, if I'm being honest, it, which is why I think Christine Sinclair is the one, is the true Great one, because what she's been able to do with a peak so long is not only succeed to the point where she scored more international goals than anybody walking this earth in a sport with the most people playing it on this earth, 
And she's done it for so long that the young girls that she inspired are now helping her win team success and bring a gold medal back to this country in soccer. I don't think we rate how special that is. But I think the, the biggest thing for me is, well, if she's an outlier, that's fine, and we can celebrate that. But what can we learn? Like, we should literally put her in a lab and study her. How was she raised? What's her mentality like? What's her philosophy like? Which is why I really enjoyed reading her memoir, written by another goat, Stephen Brunt. It's titled The Long Game. It, it, it didn't fully, you know, explore just her impact. It's explored her views on leadership, things that we take for granted. And so you could apply this to leading a team or a family or a business or, you know, leading yourself to be a great soccer player. And so that's what intrigues me about her, that she's a walking self-help book. And finally, her guard's a bit down that she's willing to share because she doesn't want her experience to be an outlier moving forward. So, please, listen and learn as we go deep with Christine Sinclair. Langs cross, it's a very deep one, Sinclair! Goalkeeper's kept it out, still in. Lang has another chance, the goalkeeper's come a long way, and Lang has taken the ball round up, can she pick out a colleague, Sinclair! Nobody has now scored more goals for Canada at the Women's World Cup Finals than Christine Sinclair. Sinclair maybe the hat-trick this time. Christine Sinclair, personal triumph. Three for the skipper. Sinclair. Sinclair! Oh, yes! That's how to finish chances. It's four for Sinclair. Christine Sinclair against a hostile Mexican crowd. Makes no mistake, the captain. Gives Canada the lead. Rose could be in behind. She's onside. Sinclair. Christine Sinclair. It's two. Would you believe it? Captain Fantastic, on the occasion of her 250th cap, gives Canada a 2-0 lead. So we scheduled this interview around your training schedule, even though, like, your jersey still probably smells like champagne. You just what do you mean? won a championship. <laughs> uh, where does that drive come from where for you really there's no such thing as an off season well yeah i mean the way the international game works now <laughs> there isn't really an off season so yeah just got done with a championship head to brazil this weekend to catch up with the national team play a couple games there and then i have a little downtime I, we won't call it off season uh the downtime that you do have now is promoting your a, book a book who would have thought yeah well, who would have thought? Because you're pretty private. Yep. And don't do all of this media when yeah. you don't have to. Uh, why? Memoir now. Um, the opportunity presented itself after Tokyo. And with Stephen's help, he made it as like painless as possible. And yeah, stepped outside the comfort zone and gave it a shot. And I think it's nice to have like female role models for young kids. Um, so the book happened. <laughs> Talk about being uncomfortable. You're very nice. Thanks. But to tell a story, right, you have to be somewhat honest. Was it difficult for you to think, okay, how 
truthful I'm going to be in all of these moments with all that you've seen in the game? Yeah, there's, um, we had to tone it down a little bit after like the first, <laughs> the first go round, um, because I was not so kind to my American teammates that I now play with on a daily basis. Um, that for me, that was the hardest part is, is that rivalry between Canada and the U.S. and now knowing that I'm teammates and friends with a bunch of them. So it's like, how am I honest in the book and get the point across, but not be mean? Um, that was probably the most difficult thing for me. Really, the time spoken truth to power, have used your voice. Where did that come from? Did you have modeling that allowed you to feel so comfortable using your voice? No, not really. I think John Herdman was the first coach, the first person that kind of brought that out of me, gave me a license to, to speak up. You know, he, he taught me that it's okay to be a leader that isn't like, rah, rah, let's go. That'll never be me. Um, but to understand, he helped me understand the power of my voice and when to use it. Um, so, yeah, I'm quiet, I'm shy, but when something needs to be said, I'll step up and say it. Your relationship with Herdman, it's not just professional, it's personal. Yeah. How did that manifest itself into having that bond with him? Yeah, I mean, it, it slowly evolved. As a coach, he, he was able to get the best out of me, but he prides himself on what he does for his players as people, and I flourished with that. And, you know, obviously when he, he left our national team, our relationship continued. I mean, he spoke at my dad's celebration of life. Uh, yeah, he's just been, been there for me, a great mentor. Um, bounce ideas off of things like that. And I mean, I can't wait to watch later this month, see what he's capable of doing on the men's side. <laughs> you mentioned your dad. In many ways, the book is a tribute to your family. Uh, you grew up essentially on the touchline. What were those early you know, memories like for you growing up in the sport? Yeah, just, I mean, it's just my parents, my brother and I just loving sports. And I, like you said, I grew up in a household just surrounded by sports, parents coached. And looking back on it, some of the best times of my life. And I realized that it gave me all this like training without even knowing it. Just my brother and I hanging out fetching balls for men's teams, things like that, that, yeah, I, w I wouldn't have changed it for the world. We had so much fun, and, uh, yeah, I think really just created a bond just outside of just, like, your typical family. I noticed you said growing up loving sports, not mm -hmm. soccer. Oh, yeah. Because high-level baseball player, love basketball, and obviously as Canadians, there's hockey in every household. When you had to specialize, what was that? decision like for you? Yeah, I mean, I was convinced I was going to be the first female on the Jays, so uh, <laughs> that was very difficult. I was like 12, 13, when soccer and baseball started to overlap, and I had to make a decision. I think I made the right one, um, but in terms of basketball and things like like I played that through high school, but there was an understanding that, yes, if they overlapped, I'd be going to soccer, but for me, it was important to to be able to play with my friends, to have that like high school experience. Um, soccer was always going to be there for me, but it was important to be like a normal student as much as possible. Can you still hoop? Oh God, it's been a while, but probably. <sighs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I read a piece in the Atlantic about the tax that it takes on a family when they have an elite athlete kid in the household. Mm -hmm. What was the pressure and the support needed for your family for you to be who you are? Yeah, I mean, my parents sacrificed a lot to, I mean, from myself, but also my brother. They wanted us to experience everything. And they were those, like, parents that drove you from A to B to C to D and had no free time of their own. Um, but, the, but they loved it. Um, but also my parents, they never put pressure on us. And I think that was the biggest thing. I remember my dad, my first provincial team, just being like, are you sure you want to do this? You're younger than everyone else here. Are you sure you want to do this? And yeah, of course I did. Um, but I never felt pressure for them. It was all about having fun, doing what I wanted to do. And they'd, they would support me as long as I was still having fun. And scoring goals. And scoring, um, I mean, that's the most important. Yeah. <laughs> um, you get to the national stage at such a young age. Uh, who guided you at that point to, to help your transition? Um, there were players on the team, your Andrea Neals, Charmaine Hoopers, that kind of took me under their wing and guided me through life on the national team, life traveling the world as a 16-year-old. And then I was very fortunate with Evan as the head coach. He brought in a lot of young players, so I wasn't going through it by myself. And there was like half a dozen of us youngsters on the team that bonded and are still like great friends. Uh, and that, that helped me a lot because I am quiet and shy. At least I had a little friend group on the team. Charmaine Hooper for us was Christine Sinclair before Christine Sinclair. Do you find yourself saying things to the young ones coming up now that, that they said to you? Yeah, 100%. Especially I remember before my first game, uh, I was so nervous, and they were like, you're here for a reason, just be yourself. And I find myself telling like the young players on the national team about to play their first game, like, just be yourself, you'll be fine, we're all supporting you, you're here for a reason. I'm like, I've turned into them, but I think it's normal. It's not normal, though, to be around long enough to see <laughs> kids you inspire now you yeah. know, playing with you. I think... 2012, Christine Sinclair was like, sorry, pretty good, right? Yeah, like average, yeah. The 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 <laughs> top of the game, but but now you inspired so many young kids that help you in 2021. Yeah. Obviously, when team success, what's that relationship like with them? I mean, it's awesome. I, I love our young players. You're right. I mean, Jesse Fleming came up to me and was like, "I watched 2012, and in that moment, I knew." I was playing for Canada, um, and now she's like leading the charge. So it's exciting to be a, be a part of um, this new crop of youngsters on the national team. They're so talented and have such bright futures ahead of them. And just to be able to like be a part of it, um, it it's pretty fun. Uh, they're just a, a great group, and they're continuing the culture of the team. And yeah, that's very important for me. What's the biggest difference in the game from when you were coming up to now? I remember that first NWSL championship in Western New York mm -hmm. did not look it was anything not like... not quite the same as it was this last weekend. Yeah. As, where have you seen the growth? Um, I mean, it's everywhere. On the international stage, just the teams now, the support that federations are putting behind the programs, um, your Englands, your Germanys, you know, France, it's... 
it's scary um, to see the growth of the game, but as a player, it's exciting to see these other countries really support their their women's players. And then on the professional level, I think you nailed it. Just every year in the NWSL, the exposure is growing, the talent is is growing. And this past weekend, winning that championship in an atmosphere that it should be, you know, on prime time, on a major network in front of a sold out stadium in DC. Uh, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty cool to be a part of that. I mean, I've, from the first year to this year, 10, it's night and day. Not just on in prime time, but head to head with the World Series in Michigan, Michigan State, and still record ratings. For you, who put so much into it, how frustrating it is it to hear, well, there, there is no audience? I mean, it's, it obviously is frustrating, but it, 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 that's what drives me. You know, I think over these past couple of years, women's sports, women's soccer has proven that, you know what, if you give it an opportunity, if you put it on TV, if you put it in, like, stadiums and produce it properly, people will come, people will watch. Um, I mean, the Euros this past summer were incredible, and I hope that's the moment for Europe that, that changes, like, the trajectory of the sport. Um, the U.S. had it in 99. Um, yeah, it's... But if given the opportunity, people will watch and tune in. How important are corporate partners in the conversation? It's not on in prime time, if not for Ally. Right. Um, you know, what role does corporate, in our case Canada, have to play in supporting women's sport? I mean, it just takes people to take a chance, whether that's individuals owning a team, whether that's corporations sponsoring teams or leagues. Um, they're willing to do it on the men's side, but they're hesitant to do it on the women's side. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, but I, after this past year, I have no doubt the women's, it's, it's just going to continue to grow. I mean, I, I think of the NWSL year 10 compared to the MLS year 10. We're light years ahead of where they were. So it just, it's just going to take a bit of time. Going through your story, I was struck at how different so many things would be, one, if you were doing the same thing but a man, and two, doing the same things but American. Do you kind of look at, you know, the path that you've had and say, like, gosh, this isn't fair? This isn't fair, the amount of attention that, you know, our men's national team gets relative to what the women have gotten given our level of success? It's frustrating. First of all, I would never want to be the American version of me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you can't help but think... If I was a guy, what kind of life I'd have. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the life I've had. I've been very fortunate. Um, but there's just no comparison, you know, right now between how a male athlete is treated and a female athlete. I mean, it's closing. The gap is closing, but it's very slow um, and a tedious process. But... I get to help grow the game, which I think when I'm done playing will be the thing I'm most proud of. And still an issue. Um, we saw you tweet about <laughs> Fonzo Davies getting royalties for his uniform. Yeah, I'm still waiting for the CSA to contact me, well, just so everyone knows. When you first saw that, your first thought and reaction was what? Um, was probably what? <laughs> uh, just because, obviously, I've been dealing with the CSA for years. Um, and this was a topic that we have brought up in many contracts 
that were cons and we were consistently told no, no, it's not possible, no, it's not possible. I guess it's possible. So uh, they're doing a little bit of backpedaling, and hopefully things will change in the future. Um, Diana Matheson has led previously many of those conversations with uh, the CSA. Now she's leading the charge on us having a league here in this country. Portland is a little bit of an outlier in terms of the way yeah. you're treated as a female athlete. But, but what is it about that experience that you have that you want to give to young Canadian girls in this country? I just think that it's possible. I mean, yes, when the NWSL started, Portland was an anomaly. It's like, I don't know what they're drinking there. Um, but it's possible. It's possible to grow the game. It's possible to grow that culture in cities. And I'm a firm believer that young kids need to see it to believe that it's possible. And here in Canada, young girls don't have an opportunity to go watch their Ashley Lawrence's or Kadisha Buchanan's play on a weekly basis. And what they can tune in to stream it, the national team when it's on TV, it's just not the same. Um, so yeah, with D, you know, hopefully spearheading this, that something in the near future is possible and that young girls across Canada can go watch their heroes play like every weekend. It almost wasn't possible for you. One of the forks in the road where you were about to go to PSG mm -hmm. before you did it. Do you think about how different your life would be if the WSL doesn't pop up before you hop on a flight? Yeah, I, I honestly... It would have been strange. Um, I don't think I'd be as happy. Just I'm a homebody. Um, Portland's close to home. It's become my home. And yeah, life isn't always easy for people going overseas to play. And that's another reason why we need a league in Canada. You know, pe some people just don't want to go overseas to play professionally. Um, yeah, who knows how it would have turned out if I would have done that after 2012. But I'm pretty happy that I decided not to and that Portland formed a team. <laughs> uh, I've heard that Portland is where like 30-year-olds go to retire and a better version of Seattle. We know how you feel yeah, about Seattle yeah. and an American Burnaby. But for you, it was always Portland or nothing, right? Uh, for the NWSL, yeah. Um, obviously, when the league started, um, the CSA like helped foster the league and the the players from the national team had a choice of like three teams. List your three teams you want to go play for. And I just wrote Portland, Portland, Portland. And the, the U.S. soccer president was like, no, you have to pick three. I'm like, I did. I'm not going anywhere else. And they're like, got it. Plus. They got the message. Um, speaking of message, when people follow you, read your book, it, for me it's also like a leadership mm -hmm. book. Like if there's one thing leaders of business, teams, families could take away from your story and apply to theirs, what would it be? Oh, whew, that's uh, I think within like a team, it's like trying to create a leader full group. Um, you know, the national team in Portland, you have a wide range of ages, experiences, and you're not going to get the best out of everyone unless everyone feels welcome, everyone feels important, and their voice is heard. And my job as a as a veteran on these teams is to help foster those those youngsters and make them feel that they're just as important as anyone else on the team. And yeah, at least 
That's how I think a successful team should be run. Uh, I might that, be wrong. I don't know. Well, it's been pretty successful <laughs> so far. All you're doing is winning championships uh, recently. As you reflect on your journey and your path uh, and trying to make it easier for those coming in your footsteps, do you feel optimistic about the plight of young female athletes coming up right now? Depends where they are from, sadly. Um, you know, I think of right now, I mean, I think with the, I think eventually we will have professional soccer in Canada. Um, but right now I still think players make the national team by chance, not by design. Um, and you look in Europe, for instance, there's a pathway to the national team. There's a pathway to pro. There's a pathway to youth national teams and then the senior team here in Canada. I still feel like a lot is up to chance. You happen to get seen when you played a good game and you scored a couple goals or made some killer saves. Uh, yeah, it's not quite set in place, but there's people working to make sure that it will be in the future. One of them is you. That's the plan. Um, thank you so much for all you've done oh. and continue to do. Yeah. Um, and thank you for leaving the game in our country much better than you found it. Yeah, that's the, that's the goal, right? Awesome. And, and thank you for the book. Yeah, you're welcome. That is the GOAT, Christine Sinclair. Love catching up with her. She's still leading our national team, playing real well with Brazil, set up a nice goal by Adriana Leon. Ooh, ooh. When you heard that show, your biggest takeaway was what? I think my biggest takeaway was the the mentioning of how she maybe wouldn't have felt at home, even if it meant bigger opportunities going to Europe, for example, right? I mean, I remember maybe because one of the biggest in, in the last, like, what, at least certainly during the pandemic, was seeing the gold medal and so on, score a one by the Canadian women's national team. And in the immediate aftermath, of that team's win, a whole bunch of the players went and signed with like the Arsenal women's team or like PSG's women's team or the Man U women's team and so on all, all over England and, and Europe. And though, that's fantastic, right? You, you want to see Canadian players and Canadian women get as many opportunities as possible. But I did kind of think like how, how many of them would have preferred to play for Toronto or for Calgary or for Vancouver, let's say, right? The biggest city, Montreal, the biggest cities in the country. And maybe that maybe those opportunities will come soon. I certainly hope they will. That would be that would be really cool simply to see a Canadian women's national soccer league. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And when you look at obviously Jordan Heidema playing for PSG, right. you know, uh, Adrian Leon, who I just mentioned, playing for United. Janine Becky was playing for City. She's back now uh, in the NWSL. Why you have to choose? by being properly compensated and giving the resources to be a lead, which not only impacts your career, your quality of life, but impacts your ability to stay on the national team and play at a high level yeah. or stay in your country of birth around your friends, family, potentially partner, and also recoup some of the opportunities that come with being here, running soccer camps and programs, being uh, a brand ambassador for companies, which is much more difficult when it's out of sight and out of mind abroad. Why that's a choice still to me, I think is unfair. And I think quite frankly, at the end of the day, like we all lose in this proposition. When you look at the NWSL final, both captains were Canadian, right? Uh, the winning team, the Timbers, obviously Christine Sinclair, Canadian coach on the touchline, Canadian 
GM, Karina LeBlanc, Canadian. There's Canadians all over the place influencing it at a high level. Why wouldn't you want this in your own backyard to reap the benefits of it, but to inspire the next generation of girls to do the same thing? So essentially, we're outsourcing our greatest resources for no real reason. And in any other industry, we would put a stop to it yeah. and say, no, let's put in some investment so that we can recoup the benefits over time, knowing that there's going to be compound interest. And you know what, too? I remember they had this, many women have had this conversation on, uh, on in many different formats and many different venues. But I remember uh, Jaina Hefford had this conversation when it comes to maybe the PWHPA having a women's hockey league, like a domestic women's hockey league in, in Canada. And one of the things they, she was talking about was, just the the simple numbers business wise behind putting women's sports on television and Christine Sinclair talked about this like when the when the NWSL finals are on are on or when the women play on TV the ratings are pretty good and the numbers are pretty good and merch is moved and those are often the ways you get people's eyes to be opened and in in a vast majority of sports certainly soccer now basketball hockey for a lot of the various women's sports you are seeing more movement around those numbers. So maybe maybe if it's just, you know, it's kind of like a chicken and the egg argument, but it, if you do manage to put those these women on television, it has been shown, especially in the last even five years, we've seen a tremendous growth in that. So it, it feels like it's an, it would be a no-brainer to continue investing in women's sport. Well, as I mentioned to Christine lastly, before we take a short break, the NWSL final record ratings this year put on in primetime, head-to-head with... Michigan, Michigan State, and a World Series game. Right. So the thought that there is a niche audience is quite frankly not true, but no audience will grow, niche or not, without investment. So people who want to parse the numbers on what the ratings are, well, let's look at the ratings relative to investment. Look at, let's look at the ratings relative to marketing. And when you tell that story, is self-evident that... Women's sport is a penny stock that has huge room to grow if someone, company, corporation, broadcaster, government, are willing to step in. I, quite frankly, I think the solution will be a combination of all of them. Uh, speaking of investment, someone who's invested in me personally, professionally, Cabral Richards. He joins, and we go deep with him. Stay tuned. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson has a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Gondi with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had a show. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Grandma and Granddad, for doing that. I'm so happy I have a show as well. Uh, I don't have a show if I'm not standing on the shoulders of said gentleman to my left. Cabral Richard Cabby. This is ridiculous. Has come through. What, how is yes. that? Do, I, do, do you want to go through and go through the history? No, 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 no. Okay. No. We're on about for that. The time when I first met you in the parking lot of what was uh, previously Tim Hortons Field where you were wearing a Jim Brown throwback jersey doing Cabby on the That's street. That's where we met? Yes. Oh, wow. At, at an OUA game, you're doing uh, streeters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At a game. It was and like I, a McMaster, who knows, Queens game or some other well, golf I, it, game. No, Western, because I was there. I was, pl- I was a player. It was a McMaster Western. Oh, wow. Yes, okay. And, um, and I, I re- it still, it still bothers me that you refer to Western as the, the Western. Like, it's, the. There's and you got to say it with your chest. No, there's only the, the Ohio State and the U. That's it. Those are the only two college programs that 
that of a certain stature that that uh, uh, get that the title. Incorrect. It was the University of Western Ontario <laughs> until some focus group <laughs> told them to switch the name to Western University. But for the OGs, it is still the <laughs> thirty-four time Yates Cup. Oh champs. my goodness. Anyway, thank you for doing this. So we just spoke to for me another goat in Christine Sinclair. If you could describe her in one word, what would it be? Legendary. Because? Of her results and mm. how she, uh, God, Christine, like the, the program was largely built on her shoulders or on her back, or she, like she carried, and I, and I don't mean to cast aspersion against, like to the, towards the other um, women on, on our national soccer team, um, but I think it, she's like, you know, this is a universally accepted opinion that like Christine Sinclair is just uh, the main engine uh, of, of Canada soccer and her results on global stages have been like incredible. And yeah, I'd say legendary is a word that comes to mind. She's also a much better person than me. So I'm telling you, <laughs> if I were her and so dominant for so long, to your point, carrying a program for so long, when at times, quite frankly, they were inept. And yet, just because I happen to have a different chromosome, less money, less notoriety, less respect, I would be, I would be walking around with a screw face all of the time. I'd be so oh. bitter. And, and for her, it's a... Double-edged sword, because not only is she less... Let's just talk about the money, like the finance. Sure. I, you know her contract detail? I don't have no... No, idea. but I know for a fact that if she was a man, she would make a lot more money. Oh, yeah. Yes, of course. And, yes. It, and quite frankly, if she was American, yeah. she'd be making a lot more money. Like, Hey, shout out to the Portland Thorns, by the way. Yes. But uh, anyway, please continue. Yeah, so I, I would just I would just be walking around bitter uh, and angry all of the time because of... The, the fact that I'm but not that, what getting would, my what would that, what just What purpose desserts? would that serve other than maybe putting a battery in your back to be to, as, a, as a motivational tactic? Well, this is why she's better than me because there's a battery <laughs> in her back as a motivational tactic to change it for other people. I would just be like, oh, oh, really? Oh, you got all these World Cup promos for the men? I've been going to World Cups. Where right, are my promos? Right, yeah. Why am I not on the side of a bus? That's right. Been winning medals for this country. Um... Salute to Christine Sinclair. Yes. Uh, I, every time I interview her, I like I, I weird her out, which is understandable because I'm weird, but she rolls with it. I, I tried to like I tried to give her like a, a couple of ideas of like new celebrations, including like one like jumping and spinning like a spin kick. She never did that one, unfortunately. But maybe uh, maybe in 23, still the next, time. <laughs> still time, the next World Cup, she can um, do a, a spinning like roundhouse, like a uh, Snoopy. Dated reference. Uh, did you ever think you'd see the men go to a World Cup? Ooh, uh, yes. I'm an optimist really? by nature. Yeah. Based on what? Mm. Our <laughs> entire largely, lives. Largely Alfonso Davies. When, I suppose. <laughs> he was with the Whitecaps. And, and like, I don't know, what was he, 16, 14 or 16? He was in the academy or something. Or um, I, I, I did an interview with him and Russell uh, T-Bert. T-Bert? T-Bert? I'm so sorry. I'm butchering your name, Russ. But I'm like, this guy is going to be the one for us. And Osorio's nice. And, you know, a salute to Dwayne De Rosario, who, who is like the most prominent Canadian men's player 
in my generation at least. And, um, you know, there's one, once like MLS started to take off in Canada with Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto, then I just like it would inspire youth. It would inspire like the next generation, similar to the way, I mean, maybe, maybe this is a little bit bigger, but like when the Raptors, we will see the fruits of the Raptors championship from 2019 in like 10 years. When there's a flood of Canadian talent in the NBA, where there might be a day where there's like 50 players from Canada, from you know, all over this country, um, playing in the NBA. So I, I, I was optimistic. I didn't know it would come in 2022, but um, and and salute to Tiba Hutchinson as well. Uh, I, I was, I, I knew it was going to happen. You're much more optimistic than me. We're in a tough group, though, man. Group E, and if we get out of Belgium Group E, is no joke. I know Belgium, Croatia, Morocco. Um, and then forget out of Group B, Donovan. Croatia, Belgium, aging, aging, fine, but still no joke. Still, yeah, still no. We go play Spain or Germany, bro. It's the World Cup. Like this is I what know. it is. I know, but like, hey, congratulations, you made it out with a win and two draws. <laughs> I just want a goal. I just want a goal. Yeah, I know. I just we, want to we, get up for a goal. <laughs> Anything we, else is gravy. You weren't even alive when Canada was in '86. When Canada was in, we went oh, and I was three. It was three years I mean, old. we don't remember. I don't remember it. Like, seeing it on television. I'm sure my dad... I do remember. They were bossed in the midfield. No, you weren't. You didn't remember it in 86. No. You, you don't even remember the, like... Anyway. Okay. Before we, we end this, we have to do our first installment of the segment that will take over the world. Dad Jury. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Go. Dad Jury is in session... So this essentially is you and anyone who listens telling me if I am failing as a father. Give you this scenario. Okay. Taking my son to the park super early. I'm looking around. Shorty's wearing Cartier glasses. My guy is wearing pants that need a belt. I'm wearing gray sweatsuits and shoes that, quite frankly, I should have thrown out a long time ago. Okay. I doubt that. I, no, not... not I'm not wasting heat on the park. Meanwhile, <laughs> my son's wearing Nike blazers and looking for puddles. Okay. And, yeah. and I'm just dying because I know I'm going to have to Jason Mark those on my own. <laughs> it, but do am I, am I going to be the father that he's ashamed of because he's showing up looking like he's wearing someone's secondhand clothing? Does he know who his dad is? Like, look at... Bro, I've seen your 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 shoe closet. You will like your fits are always fresh. So the answer is no. He will not be ashamed of what his dad. Listen, in thirty years, if you're rocking chunky New Balances, then yeah, things have gone sideways. But for the next twenty nine years, I'm okay. You're okay. Because I'm just like, why is this a fashion show? Like we're at the park on a Saturday or a Sunday. Who are you? Tr who oh, are you but trying week weekend fits. You got to be fresh though. For what? Because you're you're not just at the park. You're going to like a coffee shop. You might hit the mall. You might hit like hit brunch with some friends. No, 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 you're no, going to no. be seen this out is, here in these this streets. Is spoken by someone who has one child who yes, does I not do. speak. Because <laughs> I'm going back home to get you in bed for nap time. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm not. I'm not risking anything at all. And I'm not going to risk it all with you getting a bunch of mud on me mm. when you want to dive headfirst into a sandbox. So no, and you, you're not going to want to walk home, so I'm going to have to carry you. Right. So now right. you're those... Nike blazers are rubbing dirt all over my jacket and shirt. But they're also white Nike blazers, too. That's the thing. I saw them in the, your uh, hallway the other day. So 
Yeah, you also have to tell the audience that. So that's a, that's. Part it doesn't of it. matter. I, I I'm saving all good clothes for when my child is asleep. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, you let me know, uh, listeners. Is do I need to dress up so that my child isn't ashamed of me? I I appreciate you. Appreciate you. This has been fun, man. Uh, it has. Uh, before we go, what's going on with SN Bets promo? <laughs> well, you can you can tap in with our accounts. Our community is growing. We are just we are like the best betting culture site out there. A lot of pop culture, a lot of entertainment. We want to have fun with our community. So come ride with us, SN Bets. I love it. Um, at SN Bets is the handle. That's right. At Cabral Richards is the CEO, president, and global ambassador of the brand. Uh, I appreciate you being just a good friend to me. My pleasure, brother. My pleasure. Uh, can we talk about quickly about your Packer, your Cowboys taking an L? Oh, man. In, in Green Bay? I, Wait, do people know that? We have like 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I am a, so I'm to a Aaron Charles Rogers. fan, and yeah, Rogers did it once again. Take that L. This has been going deep. I hate this guy. <laughs> <laughs>